Let me introduce myself real quick. My name is Ryan Fultz. I I am the director of high school ministries here at Grace Fellowship Church. Now, some of you may not recognize me because I've chopped like six inches off my beard. And I just want to let you know it was completely out of love for you that I did this. You want to know why? Apparently, the awesomeness in my beard was interfering in the mic transition to the speakers. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Nobody told me to. Um, But it makes me feel like I lost weight. So that's really just, let's just get my heart out there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with, this, with you this morning. I, I want to confess, you guys catch me uh, really at one of the peak seasons of our student ministry. Uh, so tomorrow, uh, we're going to head off to middle school camp at Camp Kirkwood with 70 middle school students. I'm going to go support Aaron Barnett there. Uh, so I would ask you uh, if you wouldn't mind praying for us this coming week. If you go to the middle school page on our website, there's actually specific ways you can be praying for us, even down to the teachers who will be teaching at different times. So take some time and pray for us this week that it will be just a great time of, of gospel ministry as we uh, try to teach our students to love God as you try to show them all that Christ has done for us, but also as we just have fun with them and build relationships. So just pray that that would be just a sweet time. Uh, But on top of that, a week ago Friday, I got back from Kansas City after taking uh, about 70 high school students and about 15 leaders to Kansas City for uh, our denominational youth conference called Challenge. And so we joined about 5,300 other people while we were there. We got to hear from God's word. We got to worship together and we got to actually serve the community. I I still have the poison ivy to prove it uh, right there. Um, Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for uh, thinking of us uh, and sending your kids or or praying for other kids. It was just a great time. But if you want to go ahead and open your copy of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 28, I've been given the topic, the church and the next generation. Leave it to them to put the youth guy on stage for that, right? Um, The church and the next generation, making disciples that take risks. Now, there are some pastors out there, and I don't think any of them are on staff here, that they take great joy when they're given a topic to go find the most obscure passage they can find and preach out of that text. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know that I've ever had an original thought in my life. So we're just going to go to the Great Commission. We're going to spend some time uh, in in Matthew chapter uh, 28, and we're going to talk about discipleship. Talk about discipleship. Now, I know... I know the word discipleship in many Christian circles is what I would call a buzzword. What I mean by that, it gets thrown around often, used often, but very rarely is defined. We don't really actually talk about what does it really look like. Some people use discipleship to to define a program that's set up at your church. And and for many ways, it does some good discipleship. Or it may be... uh, it may mean automatically to you, yeah, I sit across the table from, from another person older and wiser than me and we read through a book and we talk through a book and uh, that may be what comes to mind when you think of discipleship. And none of those, all those are not bad, they're not wrong. Um, but as, even as I moved back here in 2005 uh, to go to college and left my parents, they were living in Czech Republic at the time, I, they put me on a plane and said, good luck in college uh, and I landed here. I, I landed here desperately wanting other people to be investing in my life. I remember talking with men and trying to ask men, hey, would you disciple me? Hey, would you mentor me? But I remember a couple times where, where we would talk about that and they would just look at me and be like, Ryan, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And I would usually think about it and I'd give some kind of like other paraphrase, like, yeah, I just want life on life. Or I would talk about something and then at the end of the day, I would have to admit, I really don't, I have no idea. 
I have no idea what I'm asking for. But all I know is I have this desire to have older men involved in my life. And so today we're going to look at discipleship through the lens of the Great Commission, uh, specifically as we think about training up the next generation. Uh, But we're also going to hone in on a specific kind of quality at the very back end of the message today. We're going to hone in on making disciples that take risks. Making disciples that risk what they have. And I just want to say up front, I don't mean making disciples that spend the weekend gambling at the casinos. I don't mean making disciples that only watch Red Bull TV and all they want to do is drive a dirt bike 40 feet in the air and do flips and all those. That's not what I'm talking about by risk. When I talk about risk, I'm talking about men and women who are willing to lay all that they have on the line for the glory of Christ. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about risk. So let's go ahead and start by reading Matthew 28. We're going to go verse 16 through 20, and then we'll get to work. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Would you pray with me as we get started? God, I just thank you that you are in the business of making disciples. Thank you that you saw fit to save us, to to give us grace, to make us new, to reconcile us to God. Jesus, I'm just so thankful that you did that for us. Would you be with us today as as we dive into your word, as we work through Matthew 28, and as we get to Acts a little bit later, would you just work in us today, convict us where we need to grow, cause us to worship in thankfulness as we remember what you've done. Lord, give me the words that our people need to hear. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So most of you are are very familiar with this passage, with with the context of this passage. So just picture with me, Jesus is addressing his 11 remaining disciples. That's all of his disciples minus Judas, right? Judas is no longer with them at this point in time. Uh, He's addressing them and he's giving them what I would call their marching orders. Their marching orders. Now what I love about this passage is it's not a passage that just ends on the disciples. So it wasn't like the Great Commission just died out when they all died. But the Great Commission is a reproducing commission. It's a, it's a snowballing commission. So as they went out, we can, we can watch, we can just read through the book of Acts. As they went to different places and they preached the gospel, they made disciples who then went to make more disciples who then went to make more disciples. It was, uh, it was a reproducing commission. So in a very real way, we can look at this passage and know that he is speaking to us, the church, today. Jesus is looking at us and saying, this is for you, not just my 11 disciples that are in front of me. So this really brings me, I've, I've really got two major applications from uh, what we're going to do today. So this brings me to, to really the first one that I just want you guys to get. You are the church. And making disciples is your mission. Amen. It is. 
You are the church, and making disciples is your mission. So when the church lives out its calling, they're to be all about making disciples. Now we're going to talk about what that looks like and what is, you know, how do we do that? And, and I'm going to con- confess to you right up front, there's no master plan. If you'll just do all these things, you'll be doing discipleship perfectly. I, I, I want to confess that that's not true. So if you hear me saying that, you're, you're not hearing me quite right. But what I do want to say is we'll see here in the Great Commission that there's one specific command given. There's three prescriptions for how the process is supposed to work and then it's all followed up with a promise it's all followed up with this great promise that we read at the end of the great commission i love how the holman uh concise bible commentary kind of talks about the life of believer especially when it comes to discipleship he says uh the writer says believers tasks a believer's task in life in essence is to duplicate themselves in others leading men and women in every part of the world, to faith, baptism, and obedience to all of Christ's commands. That's where we see it, that reproducing commission, that reproducing discipleship. So let's go ahead and take a look at our text. We're going to work through, really, verse 19 and 20. And the first thing we see is that God gives us one specific command. Now, if you, if you actually look at the Greek, there's, there's one command and three Greek participles, basically three descriptions of the process. And many times when we read this, we think the command is that first word in 19, go. But that's actually not the command we find in this passage. The command is actually make disciples. So when you look at the original languages, make disciples is that command in that passage. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples, what he's saying to you, And to me, is your job is to make disciples. Your job is to make disciples. Now that word disciple is kind of tossed around a lot as well. And kind of in a very general term, it's it's a follower. But when we get more specific, it's especially in the context of scripture. It's a follower who submits their life to the teaching of another and models their life in obedience after the one that they're following. So it's a much more robust word than just a, yeah, I'm going to just follow. I'm going to see what's going on. I'm going to you know, watch him as Jesus works through the towns. Just kind of check it out. That's not the kind of follower we're talking about. We're ta- talking about a follower who submits their life to the leadership and teaching of another. So can I ask you just, I don't need an answer, but I would love for you to think about this. Do you see the Great Commission as something that applies to your life on a daily basis? When you read Matthew 28, do you see it as just something that was for the disciples? Or do you see the command to make disciples as something that has been given to you? This is important. God is in the business of making disciples and he's enlisted us to be a part of this process. Yeah. He sure doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. And I'm so glad that he did. One command. Very simple. Make disciples. But then we see, we see three prescriptions here. We see three prescriptions or, or ways that this command is carried out. And actually the first one is the very first word, word of verse 19. Go. 
Now, this is a tricky word. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've heard this taught before and I've wrestled with it myself. It's a, it's a tricky word because this word in, in the Greek can actually mean a lot of different things. It can mean, let's take a long journey. It can mean, there's a destination that I'm trying to get to and I'm, I'm going there. But it can also have a more subtle meaning. Uh, uh, as you are going. Or uh, as you move forward. As you go about life. And so what I want to just kind of stop and just talk about for a moment is, I think this go in this passage is way more about intentionality than location. Can I say that again? The go here is way more about intentionality than location. God is way more concerned about you doing ministry than exactly what sphere of ministry you are in. Now, God is sovereign over it all. He's planning all that. I I get that. But I think we get hung up on, where's my spot? Do I need to go to Africa to to disciple? Do I need to move to Pakistan or to Afghanistan? And I think what, what Jesus would say to you is, no, as you are going, make disciples. Many of you had to work five days a week. Maybe six days, maybe seven days, depending on your job. As you are going, are you making disciples? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you drawing people to the light of Christ and calling on people to repentance? Are you making disciples as you go? For some of you, there's a very real call on your life to head somewhere else. So are you being obedient to that call? Do you see your part in this great discipleship process of God's? One of the things I think is incredibly, I think it's, I think it's hilarious because I do this all the time. Um, but in what areas of, of life where we really desire to make things happen, do we just let things happen? L- let me say it this way. You, you need a new car. Your other car is about to die. It could blow up at any minute, right? So you look at your budget. Eh, I ain't got the money. It'll work out, right? No, (laughs) we we don't do it that way. We sit down, okay, say we need to make some adjustments here, right? How are we going to get this $4,000 that we need to buy another cheap car or $10,000 or whatever it is? How are we going to get this money so we can buy this car? You make a plan, right? You, you sit down and say, okay, I think it's going to take us eight months. We need to cut this. We need to turn electricity off for two weeks. We need to, I mean, whatever it is in your life that you've got to do, you make the plan and you, and you execute. But it's interesting to me. There are so many things in life that we feel like God is working on our hearts and he's, he's calling us to, we see this command of make disciples. And we just think it's going to happen. We kind of sit back in our armchair for our armchair Christianity and just assume God will work it out. He's sovereign, right? I think the go here that we we talk about in Matthew 28 is an, an intentional go. Are you being intentional about discipleship? In in all the contexts of life that you have, are you being intentional? Are you taking opportunities as you're at work? Are you building the relationships? Are you talking to them about, about what you've heard or what you're reading in God's word? Are you being intentional? 
So that's the first prescription. It's, it's go, and it's saying be intentional, be intentional about gospel ministry. The second is baptizing. This is the second prescription we see here. And this is one that I, I, I get excited about. I love that baptism is actually written into the Great, Confe- or the Great Commission here. Why I love that is because I think it shows that Jesus had a great, a high value of baptism. Now, he's not saying this finishes the salvation process. He's not saying go and just start dunking people, anybody that you can, because then maybe it'll save them. But I think he is saying baptism is a normal process, part of the process of discipleship. When we have called people to repentance, we have preached the glorious gospel, and they've responded. The next step is public profession. Why wouldn't we want to get in the tank Give testimony of what God has done in our life and celebrate with our church. I want to be honest, some of you in here today are are born again believers, but you've not pursued baptism because you're afraid of man. You're afraid you might have to say something or testify to something or you excuse it away in, in many different ways, but you're hurting yourself and you're hurting us. I love Baptism Sunday where I get to sit in here and almost every service I'm brought to tears because we get to see that God is at work. We get to see that God is in the business of saving people, real, tangible people. It's not just happening in a foreign country. He's working here. Baptism is seen as important by Jesus because he knows the word picture that it is. That it reminds us that we were buried in death with Christ and raised again to walk in new life. Baptism is a part of this discipleship process. And I love that he included it here in this great commission. The next one is teaching. So we've got go. We need to to figure out what our go is and make disciples. We need to baptize them once they've confessed faith in Christ. But then we see teaching. Now I know this is not the most glitzy or glamorous part of this great commission, right? Many of you... Come in on Sunday or even go to CDT sometimes. You're like, all right, just get through the sermon. Just get through the sermon. Maybe we'll make it. And then we can get on to, to life. But there's a very important part to this process of making disciples, people that love Jesus and walk in obedience. And it is teaching. And so you see there in verse, uh, verse 19, or maybe it's verse 20, excuse me, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, this word observe is really, really important for us. If we just take it uh, kind of in the context of how we use it today, it's a passive word, right? We just observe. Uh, Maybe we've hired somebody to work for us, and we're going to spend some time observing their work. We're going to just watch. Or uh, we go to a a game, a a baseball game or a soccer game. As much as we would like to be on the field, we have to be on the bench, and we watch, we observe. That's not the way that... This word specifically is used in the rest of scripture. Anytime, I shouldn't say any, I need to be careful. Many times you see the word observe, it almost always equates to obedience. God's not calling people to just understand the things of God. He's calling people to obey the things of God. Now, this is kind of a a built-in rant that I'm going to do. You know, sometimes we rant and it just kind of comes off the top of our heads. Now, this one I put in here because I wanted to make sure we talk about this. I think when we say the word obey, 
in a room this size, we get another, a, a number of people who start waving the legalist flag. No, 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 that's legalism, Ryan. You can't talk about obedience. You can't talk about obeying God. We're saved by grace. Obedience in itself is not legalism. Just because we're pursuing holiness doesn't mean we're being legalistic. There's a big difference. Uh, it's, it's a fine line difference, but there's a huge difference. And it all has to do with what's going on inside. I could do the same things. We could have, you could put two people right next to each other. We could be doing the same exact acts. We could be reading our Bible, going to church, serving in student ministry. We could be on staff at the same church. And the only difference be, be, be Lord, I want to worship you. I want to serve you. I want to obey you because I love you and I love what you've done for me. Or it can be, what are people thinking of me? I got to do this. I got to make sure I do this. People think differently. I got to wake up and make sure I get this because God will be upset if I don't. Or the, or the kind of the biggest case is I think I have to earn my way to heaven. I think I've got to be good enough because if I'm not quite good enough, I don't want to stand at the door just questioning whether I was good enough or not. Can I just say this? We do not fight legalism by obeying less. We don't fight legalism by obeying less. We fight legalism by trusting Christ more. So what that means is you get on your knees and say, God, I know uh, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I want to be more holy. Would you help me to trust in your finished work on the cross as I pursue obedience? There's a big difference. We can pursue holiness. We can pursue obedience for the glory of God, for the good of us, and not be legalists. It has to do with what's, with what's going on in our heart. So there are two specific kinds of teaching that I want to talk about, and then we're going to get into talking about risk. We're going to talk about what does this look like to be disciples who take risks and train up disciples who take risks. The one significant kind of teaching that we talk about is is the spoken word, right? It can be here in the pulpit. It could be across the table. We can be sitting down over, over, over coffee with my Bible and having somebody older and wiser, or maybe just wiser, <laughs> uh, talk to me, teach me, tell me what, how, I would grow, how I should grow or things like that. I love when men get into my life and say, you can be a better man by the grace of God and here are some things that you can grow in. I love that. I love that. I love having men in my life who, um, to a certain extent, have a bigger idea, a bigger vision for who I can be than, than myself. Men who come along and say, hey, this is what it looks like to, to honor your wife. This is what it looks like to honor your kids and love your kids and train your kids. This is what it looks like to be a good youth pastor. This is what it looks like to preach better. This, I love when men will get in my life and do that. But that's the spoken word. But then there's also this, what I think um, is easily forgotten kind of teaching. Do you realize as you live, you're teaching? Let me, let me say it a different way. You guys have heard the more is caught than taught thing, right? It doesn't excuse us from teaching. But you really are teaching by the way that you live. Some of you have kids. I've got three. There was this situation uh, I've just realized that I, 
uh, for a long time, I've not had the habit of getting up early and having my quiet time in the morning. I've kind of had this habit where I build it in wherever I can. I'll get it, but I just kind of build it in whatever, wherever I have. And I've just been convicted that that's not how I want to do life. And so Tabitha and I have been working on getting up early and spending time together in, in the Word and, and talking together. And, uh, but just the other day, uh, I was sitting on the couch reading my Bible. And we usually try to get up before our kids, but you guys all know, the earlier you get up, the earlier they get up, right? It's like, so today, we're only on one car. We had to drive over here together, and they're always getting up at 6.30, but we're waking them up at 7 so we can get them in the car today. Like, what is going on? Sleep in when we need you. Um, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but there, just a few, I think it was last week, no, it was two weeks ago, I was sitting on the couch reading my Bible. I remember growing up, I could never get up earlier than my dad. He was always at the kitchen table reading his Bible. Could never get up earlier than him. Except on Christmas morning. <laughs> but my son walked into the, the living room. I'm sitting on the, uh, the couch reading my Bible. He walks and he just sits down next to me and just kind of like looking at what I'm doing. And then uh, he said, Daddy, what are you reading? So I, I said, I'm, I'm reading a psalm. Uh, I'm just trying to get myself ready for the day and I want to focus on Christ. And, and he said, he said, Daddy, would you read out loud to me? Like, oh. I would love to read out loud to you. So I sat and I read the psalm to him. Now, I don't know if that'll ever catch on. I don't know if my son's gonna come to know the Lord. I pray that he does. I don't know if he'll be an early morning person or a late, you know, a late evening person. I have no idea. But that was a moment where I was training him by how I was living. And I know that that has been lacking in some of the ways that I'm parenting right now. We actually teach in the way that we live. I love that Paul understands this in, in Philippians 3. He, he's, he's writing to the church in Philippi and he's, uh, he's telling them, I'm still going to go hard after Christ. This is Philippians 3. And then he moves into this segment where he says, imitate me. Set your eyes on those who walk like me. He understands very clearly that the discipleship process is not just what you say, it's also how you live. That as you gather people around you, as you pour into the lives of other people, whether it's your own kids or somebody else's kids or just people in your small group, you're discipling them as you live and as you talk. And I love that. I can think back to lots of men in my life who I've learned greatly as I've watched them lead their wives as I've watched them parent their kids, as I've watched them love other people, submit to the church, all of these things. I'm the man I am today because other men have invested in me. First and foremost, because God is good and he's done that. But secondly, because there have been men who have invested in my life. And God has used that greatly. So we have three parts of that prescription Go, baptizing, and teaching. Three pieces. But lest you think it's all about you, Jesus follows this up with a glorious, glorious promise. Look at verse 20 with me in Matthew 28. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is Jesus reminding us that he sits over this discipleship process. That he rules and reigns and he is with us 
in this. He doesn't just give us a job and say, good luck, I'll check on you in ah, a couple of years. He says, go do this, make disciples, and I'm going to be with you as you do this. What a good God we have. What a good God we have that as we get into our small group and as we pick out people who we want to minister to, God promises or Jesus promises that he's going to be with us. As we get involved in student ministry or children's ministry or, or, or the women's ministry or whatever it is, as we're training up other people to love the Lord, we get this promise. We get this promise straight from Jesus that I will be with you. I will be with you till the end of the age. So if you're going to live for Christ, the Great Commission is your ministry. Every one of you. If you're, a Christ, if you're a Christian today, the Great Commission is your ministry. Do you live that way? Do you live like it's your ministry? So you need to not only, you need to not only do everything we've just talked about, we not just submit to Christ, but you also need to be a disciple and make disciples that take risks. Now, This word risk, we're just going to explain it this way. It's the opposite of comfort. This is just how we're going to talk about it. Comfort is not necessarily a bad thing. But I think, not just at this church, but I think in the whole world, specifically in our our nation, we have put comfort up as our idol. We long for comfort. We don't like risk. I shared this story in the last service, and then uh, somebody came up, who, who also worked at Fidelity. Let me tell the story first. I used to work at Fidelity, and I've had this conversation, I can't tell you how many times. Hey, my name is so-and-so. Hey, I'm Ryan. Da-da-da, we do our intro, whatever. Hey, here's what I'd like to do. I want to make as much money as I can, but I don't want, to have, I don't want the opportunity to lose any. So uh, this guy who works at Fidelity says he calls that the unicorn mutual fund. And he says when he finds it, he'll, t- he'll probably find the Sasquatch there as well. Anybody that knows anything about investing or knows that as we're looking to get a gain, we have to expose ourselves to a little risk, to some volatility. And I think that's, what, that's how we live today. I think we, we try to decide what's the least amount of risk that I can take to get the most amount of benefit. What's the least amount that I can give or sacrifice of my own desires or my own personal life to get what I want? to look like a good Christian, to look like a, a good, upstanding church member. And that's just not how Christ has called us to live. Christ has called us to be a people that risk. And why don't you flip in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, and I just want to show you really quickly how Paul lays this out. He lays us a, a glorious example for what it looks like to be a person that exposes themselves to risk for the glory of God. And as you're turning there, I just want to read a quote from John Piper in a book called Risk is Right. He says, if our single, all-embracing passion is to make much of Christ in life and death, and if the life that magnifies him most is the life of costly love, then life is risk, and risk is right. To run from it is to waste your life. To run from it is to waste your life. So in Acts 20, we've got Paul's getting ready to head to Jerusalem. He calls the Ephesian elders to himself to say, hey, I want to give you one last charge. You will never see me 
again. And then he gives them this charge. And we're just going to read verses 22 through 24 for the sake of time. Acts 20, verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. What perspective on life did Paul have? He didn't know what would happen. At the very least, he knew that on the way there would be affliction and imprisonments. I don't know the last, I don't know the last time I, I've never had to make a decision like that. Huh, should I go there? I'm probably going to get arrested and maybe beat. But uh, God, is it worth it? I've, I've never had that option. But every day you have the option to wake up and decide who you live for. And are you living for comfort or are you living for the king? Are you living for comfort or are you living for the king? See, Paul, he counted the cost and he found that his life was not worth anything next to the glory of Christ. He knew the cost. He counted it and he said, hey, I'll toss it. Anything I can do for the glory of God. He had this proper perspective on life. Are you willing to risk your reputation? Are you willing to risk your dream house, the dream boat, the dream retirement? Are you willing to risk some of the comfort of life right now to be more freed up for ministry? Comfort's not bad. It's not wrong to have a good house. It's not wrong to have nice cars. But hear me, if you're pursuing comfort as your idol, that is sinful. And that is hindering you from your ability to do ministry. Not paid ministry, but the ministry God has for the church. He counted the cost. He submitted to the sovereign will of God. The Holy Spirit said, here's what's coming for you. I still want you to go. Paul said, all right, I'll pack. I'm leaving. I'm going. He knew that God was in control. He trusted God with that. And he submitted his life to that call. Now, I know that many of us have not had that kind of audible call where I need to go to this place. I need to do this thing. But there are very many audible (laughs) spoken word uh, truths that come from scripture that you know are your responsibility. One of them is this great commission. And if you're going to have an interest and an impact on the generations to come after you, we've got to be about the great commission. We've got to be about it in the way that Paul was. We've got to be about it in the way that Jesus was, where their life was not something that they had to keep and hold, but they were willing to give it up for the sake of the mission. So your ministry is to make disciples. Do you get that? That it's not just the ministry of the people you pay at this church. It's not just the ministry of the people we send overseas. That discipleship happens in every home in this church. Can I be honest with you? I'm afraid 
And I'm concerned that our desire for comfort is causing us to raise up weak and undisciplined disciples. Because we're living our lives in such a way where they're only following us. But they're following us in a trajectory towards comfort rather than towards discipleship and ministry. So as we kind of get towards the end of our time, I want to do it this way. I want to just spend a few moments kind of talking to segments of our population, of our congregation maybe would be a better word. I want to talk to to segments of you, but I want to encourage you all to keep tuned in to all of these. As we think about all that Christ has done for us, as we think about the great commission that is our commission, and as we think about the lives of people like Paul or Stephen or these men that count their lives as nothing for the sake of Christ. Here's what I want to say. Some of you in here today are retired. You've worked hard. You saved your money. You put in your time. Now you're enjoying it. Praise God. That is a good thing. I'm glad. I hope, I hope someday to be in that same situation. But if retirement for you is simply your chance to play more golf, have better vacations, and work more on your yard, I think you're missing the point. I think you're missing your calling. My generation, the generations coming up after me, we need your wisdom. We need your ministry to us. We need and desperately desire that you would be involved in our life to such a way where we can see how you live and hear what you teach so that we are better men and women glorifying God because of it. We need you. Don't check out on our church. We need you. Maybe you're a parent. Many of you are parents from different stages. Maybe your parents are our parents. Uh, maybe your kids are parents, excuse me. I fit in this category. I've got three kids myself. Do you recognize, especially those of you who, kids, who have kids still at home, do you recognize the opportunity for discipleship that you still have in your own home? To raise up the next generation of people who can love God and do ministry? Once again, not paid ministry, but the ministry that God's called every Christian to. Please don't be the parent that's more concerned about their ACT scores or their athletic achievements. Don't be more concerned about that than training them up in godly character. Training them up to love the Lord. I know God's in control of that process. It's not your fault necessarily if they never come to faith. But listen You have a great opportunity for discipleship in your own home. Scriptures likens our children to arrows in the hand of a warrior. Weapons. Are you training up your kids to unleash them on the world for the kingdom of God? Or are you training them up to have the same dreams that everybody else has who doesn't know Christ? To have the dream of a nice house, a good college degree, a happy family. 
Once again, all those things are not bad. But if that's what you live for and that's what you're teaching your kids, you're missing the point. Maybe you're single in here. I hate that we have to give a name to this specific group. Um, but maybe you don't, you're not married. You may have kids. You may not. You're in this stage of life. What does risk look like for you? Doesn't mean you don't have a busy life now just because you're single. Doesn't mean you have all this free time in the world if you would just use it. But let me ask you, are your desires and how you're living life now, are they shaped by the world or are they shaped by God's word? Are you wasting this time for ministry that you have? The world will tell you this is your time to live it up. Travel, see the world. Buy nice things, get nice clothes, drive nice cars. Now's your time before you're locked down. That's what they'll tell you. But you have great opportunity right now to have an impact on the next generation. We've got a number of singles who serve in our student ministry, and they have given their time and their energy in a radical way to try to impact the next generation. Now, that's not the answer for everybody. But just ask yourself, am I living for my own comfort, or am I living for God's glory? And then some of you in here today are my students. Maybe you're middle school or high school. I've said these things to you many times. I just want you to know that Christ is better than anything the world has to offer. You can pursue all of the entertainment you like, there's always going to be something new. You can pursue all the money you like, but if we just look at the life of Solomon, even he wasn't satisfied. You can pursue the many things in this world that they tell you will satisfy your life, and I promise you, you will not be satisfied. And I love you, and I pray for you, and I want you to know Christ, and I want you to live for Christ. Risk is worth it. We can't live for our own comfort. I was talking with Peter this past week, and uh, I want to share a couple of acronyms that we kind of talked about. Uh, but as I'm doing this, I want to ask the, the worship team to come back up because we're going to close in song. But we ran into these acronyms for the word comfort, and I almost didn't include one of them because it was so stinking convicting to my own heart. I mean, I, if I have to preach on this, I need to do something about this. And I don't like this. But I just want to read through these. I want you to take these and think about them. I'm going to ask you three questions. And then we're going to worship together. And we're going to remember that Christ is what we have. And Christ is better than anything. So these are actually both acronyms for the words comfort. The first one is comfort opposes ministry, but faith offers radical transformation. Think about that. When we're pursuing comfort, it often opposes ministry in our life. But faith can offer us radical transformation. But this next one is the one that got me. Comfort offers me frequent opportunities to reject the truth. 
When I sit down on my couch after a long day of work, when I have God-given opportunities to disciple my kids, to, to pour into them, I am very good at turning on the Cubs game. I'm very good at watching a football game. I'm very good at goofing around instead of taking those opportunities for ministry. Why is this important for the next generation? Because they need you in their lives. We need you in our lives.